the Cyber Security Weekly Podcast. I'm Jane Lo, podcasting from Singapore at the Black Hat Asia 2022 today. And um, with me, who is uh, joining uh, remotely, is uh, George Doe, who is the uh, keynote speaker this morning. And he's the Senior Vice President and Chief Information Security Officer at GoJack and GoToFinancial. And he was also formerly the Chief Information Security Officer at the NASDAQ-listed Real Estate Investment Trust Equinix. He also served for three years um, as an Information Security Engineer at NASA as well. And he will be sharing with us the highlights of his uh, keynote address this morning. So thank you, George, for joining us in the podcast today. Thank you, Jane. I'm glad to be on and happy to be in the podcast today. Yeah. So for our audience who are not too familiar with GoJack and GoToFinancial, can you just give us a short intro into the organization and also what you do? Absolutely. So um, and in, uh, a quick introduction into GoTo. If you look at GoTo, we are really broken up into three buckets if you think about it. The first one is what we call on-demand. This is the part of our business that has ride-hailing, groceries, food, uh, logistics, uh, and all of the on-demand services, if you will. The second bucket is all things financial. For, so financial services, e-wallet, e-money, uh, payment gateways, merchant payments, that sort of thing. Right. So anything that has to do with uh, fintech is our second bucket. And the third bucket is e-commerce. Right? This is the traditional e-commerce that we operate within Indonesia and, and uh, the rich ecosystem that we have with our consumers and our merchants on our e-commerce platform. So taken as a whole, on-demand services, financial services and e-commerce taken as a whole. Uh, it is one company under Goto, and that's our company. My answer to your second question is, as a CISO, I manage two out of the three opcos uh, for cybersecurity, Gojek and Goto, uh, Goto Financial, which is the on-demand and the financial services sector. And so as a CISO for those two organizations, I own cybersecurity for our products and services. I also own the cybersecurity program for our enterprise security. And then finally, I also currently own the data privacy uh, function for my organization. Thank you for that quick uh, introduction, George. I got to say that I've used GoJet before and I do find it very user-friendly. So um, your keynote talk uh, this morning is uh, titled Quantify Security Effectively, Moving the Security Needle from the Security Trenches to the Boardroom. And it touches on the value of effective risk quantification, gaining board and senior management level buy-in to invest in cybersecurity areas that matter. And also the different perceptions of what these areas are and how success are measured. And um, I think for our audience, they can appreciate, you know, um, effective board and senior management communication have been a long running topic, right, uh, amongst the cybersecurity uh, community. But uh, what motivates you to give a talk on this topic? Great question, Jane. Thank you for that, Jane. So, so uh, you know, full disclosure, when Black Hat approached me and asked me if I, interest, I was interested in doing a keynote for this year's Black Hat Asia, I, I said, eh, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. They said, well, right. you know, George, if, if you have a, um, you know, a topic that you are passionate about, that you really care about and want to share your stories with the wider industry, that would be perfect. And so this this thing came, you know, the, the topic of quantifying security and measuring security across the layers of management is something that I am passionate about and it's near and dear to me. My reason for doing it is I just want to share, you know, the my learnings, the battle scars that I've, I've had throughout my career, as well as the successes with the wider industry in hopes that, you know, other security professionals, wherever they may be within their security journey can help them in their journey as well. Because, um, you know, this is a very common challenge that 
almost all security programs have. So I'm hoping my presentation can help others. Yeah, talking about success stories, I do want to drill more into those uh, a couple of cases uh, at Gojek uh, later. But uh, before we go into that, um, you also touched on the point about um, quantifying cybersecurity is a rich risk management exercise, and it's more of an art, or, or rather it's as much of an art as it is science. Now, I have a question for you. Um, you know, over the last um, two years of the pandemic, when all of us are working from home and there's an increase in attack surface, and we see all this increase in supply chain attacks, ransomware, et cetera, right? Would you say that these provide some form of like, you know, concrete examples to help quantify risk, cyber risk, and therefore, it's less of an art as a result of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. it, it, you know what? I, I would say it this way: regardless of a pandemic or not, I still think the the combination of art and science holds true. And the reason why is there's with risk management, there's definitely a subjective angle to it, right? I'll, I'll give you an example. You call out some pretty common risks that we all deal with: ransomware, denial of service attacks, you know, account takeovers, that sort of stuff. So. I would start this way, right? There's always going to be inherent risk in the business, whether or not you're the government, your healthcare, your financial services, a bank or an e-commerce site, regardless, right? So you're gonna be dealing with these cyber threats at varying levels. The difference is there are certain companies or organizations that are more targeted. For example, account takeovers, that cyber risk or threat tends to track higher if you are a financial company or if you're a financial institution or a bank, right? Why? Because it's lucrative for the attackers to uh, take over user accounts to steal money, right? Mm -hmm. So depending on your organization, the risks, some of these risks are just inherently higher. Now, mm -hmm. if you take another risk, for example, um, let's say phishing. Well, everybody yeah. is susceptible to phishing at some level, right? That's right? But how do you say one organization is more susceptible to another? Mm. Very difficult, right? In that mm. kind of e calculus, that's where the art form comes in, right? The art form says, hey, the data says this, but we, our gut instinct just feels mm. like we are more susceptible phishing to the next person or the next company, mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. that's where I think their security practitioners, the, the ones that sees what's happening in the industry as well as on the wire with, with regard to their network and their systems, they have much more insight into saying, hey, you know what, may, we may not have the data to back this up, but intuition and experience tells us that this is a higher risk for us than others. That's where the art form comes in. That's where mm -hmm. I think, you know, you, you couple the, the data with the science because science is based on data, but mm -hmm. the, the art form comes in where you're using instinctive, qualitative observations to say, you know what, we believe this risk is higher for us or either mm -hmm. lower for us. And then right. add those two together and you peg it. You, you peg where this risk lies for you in the organization. So like you said, during pandemic or not, the pandemic hit, everybody had to change their, their working model. They had to change their processes and whatnot. Okay, so the environment has changed, but the approach to risk management vis-a-vis, -vis, like you said, art mm -hmm. and science doesn't change. You still apply, but but now the environment has changed. You still apply mm -hmm. the same approach is my point. Yeah. Right. Okay. Now you say that organizations, um, different organizations experience risk in different ways and also to different degrees. And that's also the other point that you raised during your presentation as well, like 
even within the organizations itself, different groups look at cybersecurity or measure success in different ways. So if we take an example of um, your risk register that you put out on the slide at your keynote, you have ransomware as one of the top risks. So if we take that example, right, and if I could apply, you know, some of what you were talking about. Now, CFO, for example, may look at ransomware and say, okay, let's just, you know, buy insurance. The business owner may say, okay, to minimize disruption to my business, uh, let's invest in backups. Uh, that will be the priority. Cybersecurity engineers may look at this and think, hey, you know, let's just um, look at the attack vectors and try to put in place some prevention or monitoring solution to potentially thwart some of these attacks. And so the different groups have different uh, tactical sort of ideas or strategic ideas as to how to minimize ransomware. But um, what strikes me is, you know, um, for the cybersecurity engineer, even though they may be coming from the point of view of, hey, uh, how can I minimize or reduce the number of attacks? There's a way for them to link that to say, how does that translate into reduction in reputational costs, legal costs, uh, unnecessary PR costs? But in reality, I guess it's a very difficult bridge to get, sorry, a very difficult gap to bridge. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, uh, uh, Jane, you hit the nail on the head of why there are three super important things to to um, to give some this some some framework, some model that you can attach to. Right. So number one, I would start with is the risk register. You called it right, George. You showed an example risk register ransomware in your example risk register ransomware was the top risk. To your point, yes, the CFO, the IT team, the engineering team, the security team may have different views of what the solution should be. For example, do we buy cybersecurity insurance? Do we buy the next whiz-bang anti-phishing solution? Do we train our users? So on and so forth, right? So many, many chefs in the kitchen is what I would call mm -hmm. it, right? Now, that's fine. So where the second thing I think is critical, so number one critical that underpins all this is the risk register is your compass. It, it, it gets everybody to the same table in terms of agreement on what are the top risks for the organization. Enter step two, ownership, right? Who owns the ransomware risk at the organization? Is it mm. the CFO? Is it the CIO? Is it right. the CTO? So mm. what, where, where I'm getting that is with the RACI chart, who's responsible, who's accountable, who's consultant, mm -hmm. who's informed, the buck stops with who's accountable. At the end of the day, they hold the responsibility on whether or not this risk is managed, whether or not you, ex you, you succeed or you fail. So. Mm -hmm. So that's the number two bucket. So you couple the risk register with the RACI chart to be very clear who owns this risk. It has to be a single threaded leader that owns it, right? Which then leads you to the third bucket, which is, okay, your security roadmap, you've called this out as a top risk. What are you going to do about it? Meaning, how are you going to measure success or failure? What are the metrics? Is it the amount of ransomware we've been, we experience? Is amount of dollar loss that we've we've lost because of ransomware? Uh, what is it that that tells us, hey, we're successful or we're not successful? And it is the accountable party that is essentially accountable for meeting that metric. And so at their accountability level, they have to be empowered. And that's in my talk too as well. Is you have to pair accountability with empowerment, meaning the single-threaded leader needs to be empowered to manage to the risk tolerance level that the organization has defined. 
So two things with that is tricky. The third bucket is the uh, empowerment with the uh, accountability. So mm-hmm. once you have the risk register, the risk register defines what the metric you're going to measure success or failure upon. Then number three, whoever is accountable owns that risk. Hence, he or she will have to invest in it, run it, programmatically implement it, and then ultimately be the accountable party to say, hey, we are succeeding in managing the ransomware risk or we are failing. How do we know? By these metrics. That, mm-hmm. That's how you, you close that gap in terms of driving mm-hmm. clarity. That way, you know what? In this case, for example, if the CFO owns this risk, right? He or she may say, you know what? I choose cybersecurity insurance to solve for that. That's fine. That's fine. As long as they are the accountable party and how they measure how they measure the risk, meaning, hey, the dollar amounts, typically the dollar amount lost due to ransomware, if that is within the tolerance defined for that risk, then they've succeeded, right? Mm-hmm. And it's very clear. Now, I would say to you, I would submit to you, though, if, if it wasn't the CFO, it was the CIO or CTO or CISO, I think they would approach it differently. But at the end of the day, you know, defining who owns it and the metric by which you measure success or failure at least, you know, ultimately gives you that focus to say, hey, yeah, we're failing or we're succeeding. You talk about empowerment. Um, So I would imagine that this could in practice be different from, say, the functional reporting line. So what I'm saying is that, for example, if, you know, take the ransomware example again, if ransomware accountability falls to the CFO, and it has been decided that, hey, insurance is the best, you know, solution, or it could be that backup is the best solution, but the backup infrastructure may be owned by IT, right? And mm-hmm. IT, in terms of functional reporting line, do not report typically, I think, into the CFO. So empowerment in this case is um, sort of, you, you kind of end up with like a matrix reporting line. Yes, absolutely. You, you, I think you called out a perfect example. Let, let's carry that example forward. Let's say this ransomware risk is owned by the CFO. He or she has certain tools within their their uh, their control, and there are certain controls that are going to be outside of their authority, right? And so where I like the risk register and the ownership says, I mean, the ownership that the risk, the risk register, def- the RACI defines is, okay, if the company, meaning the board and the CEO have agreed that these are our top risks and the CFO owns the ransomware risk, the CFO then can go to the board and CEO and said, hey, I need to be empowered. I can only do maybe 50% of what I need to do. The rest of the 50%, I need help from the CIO and the CTO, right? Because if I don't get that, that prioritization from those teams, I cannot manage this risk. So if you look at through that lens, the risk, the RACI is a forcing function. It, it, it's a positive, for, you know, it, it's a force for good in terms of it forces the organization to prioritize what is important. Because if we we all agree this is a top risk com- for the company, what are we going to do about it? We can't say this person is accountable, but then he or she does not get the support. They are not empowered. So the, the key data point I would say out of this one is it is imperative. It is critical for whoever owns this, in this example to CFO, to go to the board and the CEO and say, hey, if I own this risk, I need to be empowered. I need X, Y, Z from the CIO or the CTO. Otherwise, I cannot deliver. Please, please set set your expectations that I can. I'm not empowered to deliver to manage this risk. So, in a positive way, I would say use the risk register and the RACI model 
to to as a forcing function to get everybody to the table. And the RACI model for our audience who had not the opportunity to listen to your keynote stands for uh, responsibility, accountability, control, and influence. Is that right? Um, one correction: it's responsible. Okay. Yeah, responsible, accountable, consulted, and informed. Right. right. Okay. So let mm -hmm. me. I, I think this is important, Jane. Let me kind of uh, give you a very quick rundown of what RACI is. R responsible is the, the people that are doing the work. The teams are the people that are doing the actual work for whatever goal that you're you're trying to accomplish, whatever objective. Accountable is a single-threaded person or leader that. This is where the final, uh, you know, this is where the buck stops. Ultimately, mm -hmm. success or failure of this risk lies with this individual. So the mm -hmm. count accountable is the most important letter out of RACI, right? C is as you embark on, on uh, achieving these objectives is who do you need to consult? Who needs to, you know, be like, you know, let get into the loop and be FYI'd on, on actions and changes in process and technologies and things like that. Um, and then, um, sorry, I, I changed to the I that was uh, informed. C in the middle there is consulted, meaning, hey, if you're going to implement, if you're going to go buy cyber insurance policy, maybe the CFO needs to consult with legal. So legal in the RACI chart would be consulted. You see what mm -hmm. I mean? But but right. uh, ultimately, the accountable party is is the owner. That's where success and failure mm -hmm. is uh, is pegged. Mm -hmm. yeah. And talking about success, there have been quite a few success stories. If I could uh, see from uh, the media on Gojek's um, recent um, experience, so you mentioned that uh, social engineering and scams, right, is uh, quite uh, rampant in Gojek's uh, home base of Indonesia, and uh, fake identity could be created to exploit users who are not too digitally literate. And uh, you talked about how Gojek roll out solutions such as number masking or facial recognition. So those are, I think, quite quite good success stories in terms of getting the organization, um, all the stakeholders together to agree on, to come to a consensus that these are the solutions best for the organization. So could you give us a glimpse into, you know, some of the decision-making process behind the scenes? So, so absolutely. I, by the way, you you mentioned a few things that are that I think are worth highlighting because you know I, I like to say that anytime we're able to improve secure a security metric, especially for our customers and our partners, that's top of the heap, meaning our highest priority. So, for example, you're right. With within certain uh, countries, including Indonesia, um, there's a lot of new people to tech. Right? They're they're new to technology and whatnot. So they're susceptible to things like uh, phishing and social engineering, which leads to account takeover, right? And because they're new to technology, they don't know kind of the, the threats and the risk and how people are fish or social engineered. So it is within our responsibility, meaning Gojek, our Gojek, uh, you know, to help help protect our users from becoming victims. So we we implement things like facial recognition, data masking, the requirement of a PIN, things like that, and also some thresholds on dollar amounts that you can transfer and, and things like that. All of these moves, all of these, these solutions that we deployed has been informed by what we've seen in terms of from the, the fraud environment, the fraud marketplace that we see out there, right? And, and then some of the successes that we've had for this, for example, once we rolled out certain things like adding a requirement of a PIN, the number of fraud cases plummets. It goes way down. We, we measure this, right? And so we know when we pull this lever, this is the the uh, the output of, of that move. I, I would say to you this as well. 
it's an arms race because we fix one problem, another one rears up its head, a new <laughs> one, and emerges, right? Okay. So it literally is an ongoing arms race. And literally every company on the planet deals with this. Um, but I'm happy to say that, you know, the, the thing, the way that we approach it is we, this is our top priority, customer trust, customer and partner trust and safety is what grounds us in terms of security. Yes, we do a ton of stuff internally to protect our data, our users' data and all that. That to me is table stakes. That means we just have, this is part of the job. It's like breathing. You just have to do mm -hmm. it. But when it comes to protecting our app, our user data, mm -hmm. the, the user experience, um, you know, preventing our users from being defrauded or, or their accounts mm -hmm. being taken over. There is almost nothing more important than that. So that, like, like I said, comes to the top of the heap. And all of the things you mentioned, Jane, uh, that that we were able to implement and are continuing to to deploy because it's such an arms race. We're very proud of that. Thank you for for calling that out. That's uh, that's really uh, you know one of the, the the more prouder things that I've seen with uh, what we've been able to do as a company. Right. Okay. So, um, yes. Yeah, so I'm just uh, quite conscious of the time we're running into like 25 minutes. So if I may just pose the last question, right? Um, for organizations who are adopting a quantitative uh, risk management approach or going through the journey, right? Um, what are the common pitfalls to avoid? You did raise a few points about clarifying your accountability, ownership, responsibility, mm -hmm. um, the risk register. Those are the, some of the tips that we should look to implement or think about, but what are the common pitfalls to avoid? So I'm just thinking, you know, to expect the unexpected. So for example, that insurance payouts may not always be guaranteed. That's one example. So I, I would say it this way, you're right. I, I, in my presentation, I, uh, I call out five things, the foundations for success, right? Number one, know your audience. Number two, don't start with metrics, start with business objectives. Number three, quantify what constitutes success. Number four, define who owns security risk vis-a-vis uh, -vis a RACI. And number five, pair accountability with empowerment. So those mm -hmm. five things I, I talked about in my, uh, my presentation this morning. Now, mm -hmm. if you keep those five keys for success uh, as the backdrop, these are the three that you got to watch out for. These are the three, you know, risk, uh, no pun intended, to watch out for. Number one, the security team, uh, and, and again, I talked about this in my talk, as, uh, in my presentation this morning as well, is number one, the security team, like most other team, tends to veer off uh, in terms of developing or trying to implement solutions that are in search of problems. I talked about this, right? We, you know, a lot of times we don't start with the problem that's aligned with the business. We start with, hey, here's a new logo in the cybersecurity industry. They're so cool. Let's implement it without understanding what problem we're trying to solve. It could be as simple as define the problem. Is it ransomware? Is it phishing? What is it, right? So I always coach my team to say, hey, we don't start with the solution. We start with the problem. First pitfall, right? It sounds very benign, but I see it all the time. Solutions in search of problems. Number two is we have to move away from security checkboxes, right? Every time the security team kind of, um, you know, can't win the argument or they're, they're facing friction with other teams, they go to the book saying, hey, the, the compliance regulation says we have to do this. If we don't do this, we'll fail the audit, right? So it's a set of security checkboxes, right? And the more of that argument that you use with the other teams, it builds up this, this what I call an ivory tower, Right. Other teams will view the security team as an ivory tower, nothing more than a team walking around with a clipboard with checkboxes. 
And so what you do in there without knowing so is you're setting up an adversarial relationship with the other teams that you need as stakeholders. They are your partner for you to achieve your objective. So the second trap, avoid security checkboxes and ivory tower. Mm-hmm. And then number three, I say, you know, this is a slow moving train crash is what I would call it. Every time we add a logo, a new solution into our security program, it adds friction. It adds technical mm-hmm. It needs people, it needs processes to manage, right? So we should be stingy. We should be, you know, very articulate and purposeful about whatever technology we're going to throw into our our security program. We can't just say, ah, this feels kind of right. And the the three companies that are similar to us are doing this. We should do it Mm. without really thinking through because it comes at a technical debt cost, like I said, right? right? So as you go through building your security program and aligning your your security investments i would say those are the three things to watch out those are your risks Pro- mm-hmm. solutions and searches of problem security checkboxes in the ivory tower and finally compounding the security industrial complex is what i call mm-hmm. it which is adding mm-hmm. more technical debt well i, I think um, the last point uh about adding more technical debt, it does um, guarantee some sort of a labor market for the cybersecurity professionals, though. <laughs> it does. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy in the sense that, <laughs> hey, if I set up a castle, I need guards to man exactly. the castle. It, it, you know, but the question for for leaders is, hey, do we? Don't, why do we need 300 guards? We only need 100, right? Mm-hmm. And so that that's the chicken and the egg problem. So you know, we have to watch what our our motive is as well. Just to be honest, right? Absolutely. If the motive of the security leadership is to build moats and castles and, and throw an army to defend it, then I think we have to be very clear because I guarantee you uh, at the layer above, the, the CEO and the board, they don't look at that way, right? Mm-hmm. They want to see, hey, what, what are our security investments that have the best ROI? No, I, I do agree. Yeah. All right, George. Uh, so thank you so much uh, for sharing your insights with us today and, you know, tips and lessons from your uh, experience, um, I believe, is more than 20 years, right? From yeah. starting as an engineer to a CISO today and some success stories as well on how to move the security needle and how to quantify security and make it understandable and make it matters for all stakeholders of the uh, organization. So thank you very much, uh, George, for your time today. Thank you very, thank you very much, Jane, for having me. I enjoyed this podcast and uh, we'll talk soon. All right, take care.